when you have that collaboration, it's a more consistent message. Uh, sales is bought into that message as opposed to marketing dictating the message. Uh, so that's, I think, where where we're seeing some success in working with our sales team as a more collaborative approach is we're having buy-in uh, from both sides of the fence. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about mental toughness and overcoming adversity in sales. I'm Brad Seaman. Welcome to Decision Point. I'm Kyle Hawk, Director of Marketing at Monster Connect, and uh, I'm filling in for our CEO, Brad Seaman, on uh, today's conversation, but I'm really excited uh, to have had this interview with today's guest, which is Troy Perdue. He's the Sales Enablement Director at Marathon Health, and if you don't recognize the name Marathon Health, you might recognize the name Our Health uh, if you live in the Indianapolis area or in the Midwest region, but Our Health and Marathon Health uh, went through a strategic combination earlier this year and are now known simply as Marathon Health. They're on a mission to build the most trusted health company in the United States by delivering outcomes that people care about. And both Our Health and Marathon Health provide on-site and near-site health centers for employers, and both have a patient-centric emphasis on technology and data that very well may have an impact on all of our health care uh, here in the near future. But I wanted to talk with Troy. I'd, I'd met him earlier this year, and we'd had a chance to get to know each other. And what I found so fascinating about Troy, if you look at his job title, you might think he's a sales guy. He's not. He's a marketer. But Marathon Health has a focus on the revenue umbrella over marketing and sales, kind of working in tandem together. Um, and I've had some really great conversations just in getting to know Troy, and I thought it'd be perfect to talk about on this podcast to hear a little bit more about how as a marketer he works with the sales team and is revenue minded and all that he does and this is a topic that's very close to my own heart and so I had a really great time talking with Troy about all of this and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation so let's dive in. All right, very excited to have Troy Purdue, Sales Enablement Director at Marathon Health, on the show with me today. Uh, Marathon Health is on a mission to build the most trusted health company in the United States by delivering outcomes that people care about. And Troy and I actually met each other uh, earlier this year. We're both associate members of Revenue Collective, and we got paired up for um, what they call a random lunch where we uh, you know, got to chat for an hour and get to know each other. And it turns out Troy actually has a pretty long history with Brad Seaman, our CEO at Monster Connect. Isn't that right? That is correct. Yes. Brad and I actually both went to the same high school. Yeah, small world. Um, but uh, you know, it was really cool to kind of um, get to talk to you that day. And as uh, you know, we were kind of planning out the show, your your name popped into my mind, because we had a really interesting conversation, you had kind of transitioned to a new role at a company that was going through some some really exciting changes itself. And I was excited to sort of catch up with you on that and, and hear more about how that's been going. But before we get into what you're doing at Marathon Health, I want to have you share a little bit about your career path. I know you've held several different marketing roles with, I guess, what I would describe as health-focused organizations. Um, talk to me a little bit about what that career path has been like and how that led you to um, what you're doing now at Marathon Health. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say my career path is probably an unconventional career path, um, you know, compared to probably what most people do, going to college, getting a degree, uh, maybe doing an internship and and starting a role with that company where they do that internship. 
I unfortunately uh, did not graduate college with a degree. So I've had to, uh, you know, kind of learn on my own uh, throughout my career. And in the last kind of decade or so, I really got drawn into what I call the the ancillary healthcare space. So the broker consultant space and even the, the ancillary worksite health center space. Um, and from a marketing perspective, really just kind of came naturally. I've always had an affinity for design and technology, and they just kind of merged very well with the roles that I had at some of these ancillary health um, organizations. And so throughout the last decade, I've really tried to hone my design and marketing skills, learn new things, uh, you know, talk with interesting people within the industry, uh, both from a healthcare perspective and from a marketing perspective. And I think it's really helped shape uh, kind of my worldview as well. Um, And and from a healthcare perspective, it's certainly a a passion project for me. Uh, I love coming to work Mm. every day and, and really hearing the uh, the success stories that our patients and our users are having out in the market, even though I'm not directly a, a frontline healthcare worker, you know, influencing, uh, you know, their, their course of care. I do feel some uh, indirect involvement and, and take some credit for some of the successes that we have. So from a marketing perspective, it definitely is probably a different track than what uh, many of your listeners may have gone through. But nonetheless, I've ended up at the, you know, what I consider a similar sp- place. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it made perfect sense earlier this year when you joined what I believe at the time was still our health and um, our listeners in Indianapolis will obviously recognize that name as a company that um, started here several years ago. But uh, this year has gone through um, what's uh, been described as a strategic combination um, with Marathon Health, which is the what the company is now called. And so you you came into our health right as this um, change is happening. And again, strategic combination, our health in Indiana based marathon health, which I believe was originally based out of Vermont. And now they've kind of come together as marathon health. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that has looked like and, and what that means for the organization as a whole. Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, some people think I'm a little bit crazy for jumping into uh, uh, two organizations coming together as one because it is a somewhat of a chaotic time. Uh, I, I do have the, um, uh, I have been through that before. Uh, I worked for a, a local worksite health center uh, organization here in the Indianapolis market that merged with uh, another organization based out of Wisconsin. So the, the process was not unfamiliar for me. Uh, but nonetheless, each merger kind of has its own uh, nuance. Uh, you know, and so joining the organization at that time for me was really an opportunity because it gave me the sense of what both organizations did before and allowed me to help position where that organization needs to go moving forward as a new combined marathon health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, from a, a sales and marketing perspective, there's certainly a, a lot of things that uh, we've worked on through the, the last uh, four or five months and certainly things that we're continuing to work on through the end of 2020 and end of 2021, uh, you know, specifically around uh, new brand. So we launched a, a brand new logo marks, brand new uh, brand direction and messaging. Um, some of the nomenclature that we're using is a little bit different as we're trying to combine uh, the two organizations. Uh, in the healthcare service, is a very complex uh, scope of service that we have. And so yeah. bringing 
bringing those together has been challenging but fun as we take uh, you know what what both organizations really excelled at and, and tried to bring them together into a new industry leading company. Uh, so so we've been focused a lot on how do we support our sales team with marketing collateral and marketing initiatives. How do we you know create a, a new and, uh, and and really better um, campaign strategy and lead gen strategy to support our sales staff? And then certainly how do we um, educate the the market in general uh, to what the new Marathon Health is. And because we we decided to keep the same Marathon Health name, there is that name recognition nationally. They were a little bit of a larger organization from a footprint perspective uh, compared to our health. Uh, so we think that we can continue to leverage that um, that known entity of the, the legacy Marathon Health for the new organization moving forward. Yeah. And so throughout all of this, I mean, I, I would imagine the biggest question you get, at least from people here in the Midwest who are familiar with our health and, you know, the, our health, my clinics and the, kind of the whole model of that, the, the big question would be, so what's different now um, that, that it's marathon health? What, what has changed? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, my clinic network is an interesting uh, thing to talk about because that, that was a big differentiator for our health and that will be a big differentiator for the new marathon health. Uh, the other thing I think is culture. You know, we spend uh, a lot of internal energy, really focused energy on creating uh, a really world-class culture within the healthcare space. And, and our our company is made up of both corporate employees, uh, but also a lot of field staff. Uh, you know, three quarters of our staff are actually out in our health centers around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, our nurses, our providers, and clinicians, um, and the in the field staff that support them. Uh, so, creating a culture that really um, can be uh, creating a culture that can really be mimicked right outside of the corporate office to a lot of these field offices is very challenging. Uh, but we think, we think we've unlocked the key. Um, we, we invest a lot of energy in doing that. So, um, again, I think that, you know, differentiation, uh, from a service level perspective is very challenging. Uh, we're always innovating just like everyone else in our space is innovating. Uh, but it's, it's always, you're either catching up with someone else, you're leapfrogging them and then, and they're catching up with you. Right. I, I like to think of it as the iPhone, uh, you know, Apple iPhone and Samsung Galaxy debate, right? They both do really great things. You wouldn't, uh, you know, be losing out by having either one. Some of it is just personal preference. And that's kind of how healthcare works uh, at the worksite health center space. So there's other ways that we can differentiate the kind of the way Apple does with their, uh, you know, do something different campaigns and, and the way that, that Apple's kind of created a culture around their brand. We're looking to mimic some of those same things. Yeah, that's a that's actually a really interesting analogy. I, I don't think I would have thought of that, but that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so this has been kind of great to to hear about um, this experience that you all have uh, been going through this year. But one of the things I'm really excited to um, talk about with you today is this concept of uh, Troy the marketer who kind of has a sales title. You're the sales enablement director, and you know, as um, somebody you know like both you and I who have been in marketing for a while now, we've kind of seen this evolution um, of marketing roles and the, the marketing function becoming more responsible for revenue and more closely knit to the sales team. I'm interested to hear a little bit about like how you would describe your role um, because if somebody sees it on paper, they think you're a sales guy, you're actually a marketer. What does it actually look like in practice for you day to day? 
Yeah, great question. And I do get uh, confused with sales all the time. I get plenty of uh, spammy LinkedIn messages from people thinking uh, that I'm in sales. So that's one one downside, I guess, maybe to, to having sales in your title. But, <laughs> uh, you know, from an enablement perspective, I think where the industry, and, and I'm speaking, you know, more broadly than healthcare here, more uh, from a marketing and sales industry, um, you know, we're moving more towards revenue teams. And, and I think there's not as hard of a line uh, in the sand between marketing and sales as there used to be. I, I think there's a lot more collaboration um, as more organizations start to look at uh, using both uh, of those departments within an organization to find success, whether that be from a legion perspective, uh, you know, from a revenue perspective, etc. Uh, so my role is really, I like to say it's more marketing focused. Um, I'm certainly working on those legion strategies. Uh, you know, how do we start to measure buyer intent, and how do we start to understand buyer signals that are happening, you know, out in the marketplace through the web, through our competitor sites, through events, etc. Uh, you know ad campaigns, all the traditional things that your marketing team would typically do. Uh, but I also support sales from a process perspective. Uh, so I'm working with sales on creating buyer journeys, looking at buyer personas. Uh, you know, how do we ensure that our Salesforce instance uh, encompasses all the data points that we think are necessary for our sales to be successful and to have, uh, you know, more targeted conversations with our prospects. And then certainly from a sales collateral perspective, traditionally marketing has uh, you know, taking a request from sales that says, hey, I need a one-sheeter for this. And marketing will go and kind of create a one-sheeter and pass it back. Mm -hmm. In my role, it's a little bit more collaborative than that. You know, we certainly support those sales requests, uh, but we do operate as a, a tighter team um, when you have a sales enablement director that has that marketing background. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that like me, you've been in both situations um, that you just described, one where sales is asking for something and marketing is delivering it. And secondly, where it's a collaborative effort. Talk a little bit about the benefits um, in your own experience of why that collaboration just makes it all work so much better. Yeah, I think it comes down to messaging, right? I mean, when sales is out in the field having conversations, and, and arguably our conversations are very complex, you know, given uh, uh, the industry that we're in, it, it's really important that, that sales, number one, has the, the materials they need to be successful and to educate the market, you know, whether that be a prospect uh, that they're having a Zoom meeting with or someone they're meeting at an event or maybe a roundtable or webinar, Um the, the second thing is when you have that collaboration, it's a more consistent message. Uh, sales is bought into that message as opposed to marketing dictating the message. Uh, so that's, I think, where, where we're seeing some success in working with our sales team as a more collaborative approach is we're having buy-in uh, from both sides of the fence. It's not sales says, hey, I need this, and marketing's like, here it is, right? Here, here's mm -hmm. our take on it. Um, your sales staff are the ones out in the field having those conversations. They're the ones answering those uh, tough questions that the prospects have, and they probably have the best line of sight into what messaging really resonates uh, with the prospects they're going after. And in our space, that can mean a lot of different things because we provide services across multiple industries and multiple employer sizes. And so it's really important for our marketing team to understand the nuance and the message that has to be communicated uh, you know, by each salesperson, depending on what type of client they're going after. Yeah, it, it really does make so much sense uh, as opposed to kind of having a, a siloed approach. And I think, you know, most people would agree with that in theory, but 
just talking, even when you start thinking about it in practice, if you think of marketing as kind of that that first point in which uh, you know creating that inbound flow into the into the funnel. Um, when there's that gap in between, there's so much that can be lost in translation um, before you know a lead even becomes sales qualified and gets into the sales conversation. That's that's one piece of it. But also just in in terms of like overall goals, like when marketing and sales have that alignment and collaboration, and everybody kind of understands the key metrics that need to be hit, you just you're getting rid of that part where you've got two teams working in possibly two different directions, right? I mean, it, it just kind of synchronizes the whole process from end to end. I don't know if that's something that you you experience on your team, but I've I've certainly found that um, over the past few years, as kind of my roles have become more and more involved uh, with sales, of, of how much um, more harmonious the entire pipeline becomes from end to end. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. And I think traditionally sales, um, I don't know if the, if if this happens in every industry, but in my experience, you know, sales is a little untrustworthy of the leads that marketing provides. And yeah. I think in, in, in our industry, in, the leads are typically um, immature, right? I think we're quick to say, oh, this person, you know, downloaded a, an ebook and filled out a form or, uh, you know, they clicked on a link in an email campaign that we sent out and we start to assign some sort of lead status to actions. Um, and usually it's not very many actions before marketing is ready to, to pass it across the fence to sales and say, hey, you know, we've got a hot lead here. Someone's very interested because they took a couple, couple actions. Uh, yeah. When in, in reality, uh, you know, those prospects are probably still in the education phase. Um, and if we look at a buyer journey, uh, you know, the what where marketing can really provide support is in that top 30% of the buyer journey, right? When the buyer is really just, um, in all intents and purposes, a target, or they're really just in that awareness phase, uh, where that buyer is just trying to understand what solutions exist in the marketplace that could solve the problem that they have. And so how do we as marketers start to measure measure the actions that those prospects are taking while they're doing that research? And how do we ensure that we are providing them the answers to the questions that they have and not our competitors? And then when we understand that they're well-educated, they're taking uh, their intent signals, position them towards moving towards a, a buying phase, then we can get sales involved and we can provide them with the backstory. You know, traditionally marketing mm-hmm. does not do a very good job of providing sales with clarity around what actions have being taken outside of, you know, my example of maybe downloading an ebook. Now we can start to look at, hey, this prospect has done all these things. Here's 40 things that they've done. Here's all the places they've been on the web. Here's some of the targeted campaigns we've done on LinkedIn or on Google. You know, here's keywords they're researching. Here's emails they've read of ours. Here's collateral that they've, uh, you know, uh, consumed. Now you're ready to have a more informed conversation because I know exactly what that prospect is interested in based on, you know, the history that I have been collecting with them for maybe the past two or three months. And then when sales gets involved, now they're having very targeted conversations. They already know what questions have been asked and answered from the content we've provided, and they can take it to the next level. They can get into the more nuance that's hard to for us to convey, even in a white paper, an ebook, right? Some long form content. And so I think that uh, creates some more trust in marketing from the sales staff. Um, And it allows us to um, only provide those leads that are really 
truly highly qualified as opposed to those who we think may be, but sales is truly just wasting their time because that buyer is not ready to have that conversation yet. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, it, it it's so funny because it, uh, what we're talking about here removes this element of like finger pointing. Cause again, everybody's kind of in conversation and understands, um, you know, where these leads are at and what kind of conversation needs to be had. And it, it, it really removes that piece of like that, you know, as marketers, we've all been in where something closes and we feel like we were responsible, but we don't really, we can't really articulate why, but we feel like we should be getting some of the credit or conversely when things aren't closing and marketing saying, Hey, we're delivering good stuff over to you. What's, what's the problem? Well, the problem is there's really no story to be told. I mean, these, uh, and by the time something even gets to sales, they don't, they don't even know how to handle it different than another lead. So, um, it's, it's really, um, really exciting to hear what, what you all are doing. Um, and, and how well that's working. I, I'm wondering from an outbound sales perspective, I don't know what that looks like at Marathon Health, but how, how involved are you um, in the outbound process or is that something you touch or, in, or involved in at all? Yeah, so our outbound process um, can, can be classified in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, our our sales model is very relationship oriented uh, because we have a very complex solution that we're selling and a very expensive one, right? It's not uh, an inexpensive for a client to build a health center, right, on location and yeah. hire doctors and things like that. So um, we're really selling from a relationship standpoint. So a lot of our outbound is how do we engage our sales staff with prospects to build that relationship. Um, and so we do that through a, a lot of events um, in markets where we have or looking to expand uh, you know, our presence, um, whether that be through roundtables, whether that be through building relationships with brokers and consultants who um, are, are a big part of our sales process because they really own the relationship with our prospects. So our outbound, you know, in a traditional outbound sense, we do some of that as well, right? We do some paid and earned media. We're doing doing email campaigns. We're, we're pushing some of that outbound to drive inbound traffic, um, but we really focus on how do we support sales uh, from a relationship perspective. And that's, I think, where uh, my role as a sales enablement director also bleeds over to. Uh, you know, it's more than just giving them a collateral piece and say, hey, this answers the question you told me your prospect had. It's how do we take that either through distribution channels or through uh, other uh, online or in-person events so that that salesperson can truly build lasting relationships with the groups that they're targeting, whether that be a client or a broker consultant. Yeah, it's it's really such an interesting model, and I've I've been a fan of it since um, I worked at Angie's List, and they um, they uh, you worked with our health, and uh, there was an onsite um, our health clinic there as well. But the when you think about like the <laughs> the size of what it is that you're selling in most cases, it's really interesting. Where where does that first touch point begin? Like who is the person that you're looking to you know have that first conversation with? Generally, it's going to be your HR leaders uh, at an organization because they're usually the ones closest to the healthcare cost. And the ever-increasing healthcare spend for most organizations in the United States uh, drives them to find solutions to lower that. 
And, and there's a lot of solutions that exist and there's a lot of noise, uh, you know, in the marketplace on solutions that can help them reduce their healthcare costs. Uh, but it's really that HR person and maybe the CFO is going to the, the HR leader, the CHRO and saying, hey, this is getting out of hand. We need to figure out how we can reduce this cost. Uh, in, in traditional practices like moving from a PPO plan to a high deductible health plan, you know, carving out spouses, some of those things that were done 10 years ago aren't as effective anymore. Number one, because they've already been doing them. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, they really can't expand that outside of going to, you know, expanding the deductible even higher, getting into the $5,000, $10,000 deductible range to lower cost. So your HR leaders are out there actively looking for solutions to uh, this, this huge issue of ever increasing healthcare spend. Um, and so they're usually the ones that are uh, seeking us out or we meet at events or they're going to their brokers and saying, hey, how can you help me here? And the brokers are, are presenting them, you know, potentially a number of solutions. It's not all worksite health centers, but we, um, I think, drive a, a pretty large impact in reducing healthcare costs. And, and by the way, your, your employees get healthier in the, you know, at the same time. So um, we do also work with CFOs or CFOs. Some of your more progressive companies, uh, you know, have a much larger buying team because everybody wants to be involved. Um, And at a smaller level, uh, you mentioned our MyClinic networks, you know, there's employers that have only 50 employees that can access those. And they may not have an HR leader or a CHRO. So sometimes we're working directly with the president or CEO of some of the smaller organizations. Yeah. In in a lot of instances, is the educational process of these early conversations pretty high? Because I would imagine in some cases, you're introducing a concept that's just completely new. Um, I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but is this something where even when you're talking with an HR leader or the person handling benefits of the company, they need like a certain amount of time to kind of wrap their head around all of it? They do. Yeah. You know, and 10 years ago, the concept of, of worksite health centers or clinics, whatever nomenclature you want to use, was very new. And there's still markets where it is still fresh and new and they don't know a lot about it. But even those who have maybe heard about it, right, anecdotally, maybe they heard their broker talk about it or they have a, a, co, a co-worker that came from another organization that had it or a peer, you know, at another company in a similar role that has one. It, it is a complex educational process to really grasp what's happening right? Or what we're selling. And so there is yeah. a, a longer sales process for us. It, it can last, you know, sometimes 18, 18 months to 24 months, yeah. um, you know, depending on uh, what type of service they're looking for. Are they also integrating things like physical therapy or occupational health? Um, are they building a health center on their, uh, you know, in their building or on their location? Or are they accessing a, a My Clinic network or a shared center? So there's so many different um, avenues we could go down to provide a solution. Uh, you know, depending on what the the expectation of outcomes is for our clients, but it is a long sales process, and and again, that relationship selling the salespeople have really taken the onus to own the entire buying journey. Uh, you know, traditionally in our space, and so they're working with a prospect that entire time. You know, many times from the very first conversation of what is a worksite health center, right, and what can it do for me all the way through signing the contract. And, and so from a marketing perspective, we're really looking to uh, figure out how we can take some of that off their plate so that they're focusing their energy uh, on having conversations with groups that they know are ready to invest in, in this type of solution. Yeah, that makes everything that you were saying earlier make even more sense because, you know, as a, a SaaS marketer, you get used to this idea of a 30 to 60 day sales cycle. You know, we're talking about deals 
gestating for 18 to 24 months. I mean, that's a that's a really long amount of time. And there's so many things that are happening in the midst of that, that if you if you had marketing and sales separated and a more traditional model, I mean, it'd be almost impossible to create any sort of efficiency around that or even begin to draw the kind of data that you would need to make it, you know, to be able to replicate it over and over. So that that's really fascinating to hear. Yeah, the, the data has been challenging, right? I mean, we're, we're certainly not doing it perfectly. We're trying to move in the right direction to do that. Um, but it is, that you know, as we look historically to think, okay, what, what can we attribute to marketing in terms of sales growth over the past, you know, three to five years? And, and we're drawing some blanks, right? It is challenging to say, hey, what has marketing really done? We know there's been influence, right? We know things that marketing is doing is having an impact, uh, but it's hard to measure. And so we're looking to change some of that with some of our new processes and, and MarTech strategies that we're looking at and, uh, you know, using Salesforce as our source of truth. Um, you know, a, a lot of moving pieces are happening right now in, in what I would consider our revenue team, collective of marketing and sales. Uh, but it is, you know, a lot of things happen in 18 months. CEOs transition out in 18 months, yeah. which could, you know, kill a deal. Um, we do a lot of, of government work as well, you know, working with cities and municipalities. And, uh, you know, you get a new mayor voted in and that changes the strategy. You know, budgets change, you know, very drastically sometimes in 18 months where they may have had money earmarked for a solution like ours and something comes up and they have to redirect those dollars. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always kind of a a little bit of a shell game, uh, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, how we can make it work for that longer sales cycle. Yeah, that's, uh, that is fascinating. Well, um, this has been a really great conversation. And, you know, we talked early on about um, kind of everything that happened this year leading up to Marathon Health. I, the, the launch of uh, the rebranding and the, and the website, it was all just absolutely fantastic work. So, so bravo to, to you and, and the whole team there for the way um, that you were able to execute on all that. So you had this big, huge thing that happened, this big project that comes out of it. That's a, that's a lot, you know, for a year. And now it's here. What's the biggest challenge that lies ahead of you? What, what's the biggest problem right now that um, is, is the next big thing to solve? Yeah, for us, I think it's really continuing to support sales from a collateral perspective. So you mentioned our big brand launch, and and certainly as part of that, uh, you know, we had identified kind of day one requirements, right? Uh, A PowerPoint presentation, case studies, uh, certain sales collateral, the website, uh, which I'm very proud of. Um, All those things culminated into what we called our Torchbearers Week uh, that happened in mid-October. And so now that we've got past that, we have this tale, right, uh, of all these legacy assets that we have to bring into the new brand. Um, and, and that can encompass a lot of things. Some of them are low-hanging fruit where it's like, we're, we're comfortable with the content and the messaging. We just need, uh, you know, a, a new skin, right, to match the new brand. And we can push those mm-hmm. out to the sales staff. Uh, some of them require a lot more thought and a lot more internal resources because maybe it's a service that uh, a one pager that Marathon used before to support a service. And now that service has, you know, molded and, and been enhanced as part of that integration. And so the messaging mm-hmm. on that one pager isn't necessarily relevant anymore. So we've got to update messaging. Maybe we have to update imagery. 
to match kind of our new design direction. We certainly have to do the rebranding. We've got to get sign off from the SME. So there's a, you know, that's a considerably longer process than just creating a new template for a document where the content is ready to go. So we've got a, a very large library of sales assets that we're in the process of rebranding. And then when you think about an ever expanding sales team, how do we make that scalable? And so we're in the process of, of standing up a true sales enablement tool that can be that go-to resource for our sales staff that is integrated with Salesforce that does start to provide us some of that data around, uh, you know, open metrics and view metrics of documents that we're sending out. Uh, so that's kind of the, that's what we're working on here through the end of 2020 is how do we uh, fill those gaps and, and catch up on, on the sales collateral perspective. And then in 2021, it's really focused on how do we create the best lead gen strategy in our market? Uh, and so we're going to be putting a lot of time and energy into developing that, uh, testing and iterating. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, mid uh, 2021, we should be able to come back to the table and sales and say, look, we've overperformed from a lead gen perspective in our marketing team. And we, we you know, we're interested to now measure kind of that, uh, that sales velocity for these, you know, what I would consider new, better qualified leads that we're now providing. Yeah, that's, that's great. You know, I've uh, been through the rebranding process before, and it's like such a thrill when you get through it and uh, you're able to make the big announcement, the swag gets distributed to everybody. And there's kind of this exciting moment, but then uh, as a, as a marketer, you're kind of sitting there like, oh man, the real work starts now. <laughs> like now, yeah. now, now the, now it's time to really get busy. So uh, that is a, that is a very exciting time to be in, but man, there's a, there's a lot to do. So um, good luck with all that. Thank and you. Troy, th this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time today to, to chat with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the experience. All right. Another big thank you to Troy Purdue for joining us on the show today. That was a really great conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. You know, whether you're a marketer or a salesperson, if you're feeling that sense of disconnect um, or loss of translation within your own organization, just know that it doesn't have to be that way. There's all kinds of examples that um, we've seen of marketing and sales coming together underneath that revenue umbrella, working in tandem and collaborating. And the sooner that you can start putting the things in place that are going to bring those two teams closer together, uh, the better you're off you're going to be in the long run. Um, again, thank you to Troy Purdue. If you want to learn more about Marathon Health, you can visit their website at marathon-health.com. And if you like this podcast, we invite you to come uh, get more of this podcast by visiting our website at monsterconnect.com slash podcast. Um, we've got all of our episodes there along with a uh, handy ebook that is made just for our listeners that you can download. We hope you'll come visit us and check it out. That's going to do it for today's episode. I'm Kyle Hawk. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time.